0: Okay, welcome to Power Pivots, the podcast where we explore the stories behind the fundamental career shifts and changes that have made all the difference. I'm your host, I go by Hatu, and today we're joined by...
1: Molly Jensen. Hi.
0: Molly, hey. How are you? How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for making time.
1: Of course. Good evening to you. I mean, the time (laughs) is pretty significant.
0: It's wild. It's wild. But somehow we're able to make it work.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited about this. So thank you for considering me.
0: Of course, of course. Thank you for, for coming on. So I like to just jump into it generally and ask people about their PowerPoints. So PowerPoints are three words or phrases that describe you, encapsulate who you are as a person. So for you, what would you say, Molly, are your three PowerPoints?
1: Hmm. I think I would say resilient okay. kind and determined
0: resilient kind and determined okay you want to tell me a little bit more about why you decide to pick each of those
1: sure i mean i think life is really challenging for everyone and i think this late 20s into your 30s requires a lot of resilience i mean mm-hmm. People are going through a lot, whether it's mentally or with their family or with what career they're doing, if they have a partner, and you constantly just have to put one foot in front of the other. And if you're equipped with the ability to kind of push through, which unfortunately I've had situations that have forced me to do, it becomes a skill that you can really fine tune. And kindness, I think, is like the most attractive quality that anyone can have. I think if you're a kind person, you can be a good person. <laughs> All of <laughs> I genuinely think people deserve kindness. Kindness and curiosity are neck and neck when it comes to that. And then determined, I mean, I feel like the work that I'm doing is really fundamentally important and I feel very laser focused on that. So because the mission of why I'm doing this and the vision of the business to me feels so big, I'm very determined to make an impact in that space and I recognize that all of the decisions I make are on behalf of the creator on the ground and I take that really seriously I don't take that as just a privilege to have a job like this there's a real responsibility to do right by the creators on the ground and I'm really determined to continue to do the right thing, whether it's through speaking to creators or getting in conversations with people who are decision makers when it comes to advertising or taking up space in rooms that maybe traditionally we haven't had the opportunity to do so and also speaking other people's names in rooms that they're not in. It's not anything at all to do with me. It's about the industry and the ecosystem and making sure that as a unit, everyone is getting to take up space because I feel like, what we're really essentially talking about is digitizing African stories. Right. And African stories are so paramount and fundamental to the DNA of the culture of the continent. So, yeah, very determined to make sure that that byline shines through. So, that's Absolutely. why I'm those things resilient, kind, and determined.
0: Fantastic. I love how they all tie into each other and it all ties into your story. Those are very good ones for sure. I've known you for a little while. I don't know if those are the ones I thought that you would pick, but it makes it hard. No, not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. I always try and guess which words I think people are going to use, and I'm never right. But I always love that I'm not right. (laughs) It always adds more to the conversation. You know, they always say that the story is told in hindsight, and hindsight is 2020 vision. So put your 2020 glasses on. Tell me your story. How did you get to where you are today?
1: Well, I think a lot of what I've done professionally has been most successful when I deal with people. After I graduated college, I had a BA and I was focused on marketing. I worked in a sales capacity in a payments space, so working with breakage, working with gift cards, and I really liked the account management side. I also did some event production and planning. Again, my favorite piece of that was really understanding what people wanted and how to manage expectations, how to exceed expectations, how to make them satisfied. I worked in a family business in real estate, which is about people making potentially the largest purchase in their lives. Of and it, when I came to Kenya, I moved January 3rd, 2020. So oh, wow. I wasn't necessarily focused around finding a job. I felt like it was a really good opportunity to find the right job. And the reason I say that is because I don't feel like people often get the opportunity to completely break from what they were doing and pivot, for lack of a better word. Yeah, great word. They're intentionally wanting to be in. So I was talking to a lot of people and I was being presented with a lot of potential opportunities and. I think more often than not, it's really easy if you're looking for a sales job to get a sales job. But I didn't want to do that. So I was really not saying yes to a lot of opportunities. I was looking for the right thing. And I knew some investors. And they were telling me that they were making some investments in Africa. And there was an audio opportunity. And I thought that was really fascinating because audio is so powerful on this continent it's so important radio is the most trusted medium on the continent we're a continent of storytellers people are comfortable getting information from an oriented perspective and now this intersection of technology media audio podcasts are growing the orange economy is growing, creators are really really a powerful piece of this puzzle here and i thought this is an exciting opportunity and who could potentially be an expert in podcasting in africa right now because the thing is the industry is growing no one knows the right way to do it and i think from my own personal position it gave me an opportunity to be comfortable at potentially not being afraid at something right okay when you step into an industry and there's legends behind you and, and you're on the shoulders of giants i think sometimes you're measuring yourself up to a bar of someone else. And here, it's like everyone is figuring it out. We're all trying to figure out the right way to do it. Of course, there are some metrics that people are looking at in the West, but Africa has its own unique problems, its unique solutions, and its unique opportunity. And I do think that the opportunity in audio in Africa is just massive. Like Podcasting is the fastest digital-growing medium on the fastest digital-growing continent in the world, and that's different. So. Knowing that these investors had a portfolio that was including audio on the continent, I was really interested in that and I started learning more about it. And I started consulting and I slowly immersed myself into the business. And with an investment, I stepped into leadership. And that's how I ended up as CEO.
0: (laughs) Dope, 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 dope. I have so many questions. And I mean, honestly, fantastic story, right? We met when you were in New York. I remember when you told me that you were moving to Kenya. And I know this is something that you're very passionate about, right? And clearly over the past few years, this has been quite an excellent fit. Were you always big into podcasts or was it something that the interest grew in just understanding how important the forum is from a storytelling standpoint and how it's so necessary for the growth in Africa?
1: I would have to say that. I mean, I think podcasting as a whole, is fairly new. So I don't think you can always be into podcasting. I feel like most people as an adult and I think for me prior to this role and really being immersed in this role or when I was engaging with audio it was more so from a clips perspective whether they were clips of podcasts on social media or whether they were like video casts before or podcasts before I really got into it I think the way that I used to consume podcasts would be if I was doing research and there was someone really interesting speaking whether it was like on Digi day or something I would listen to that person if I wanted to right. learn but I wasn't obsessed with like serialized content. I definitely listened to Serial. That was.
0: Yeah, yeah, That's what got me first.
1: You know, I think that really got a lot of people. And I think as I've gotten older, actually, I don't really consume a ton of TV. Yeah. And when you do, it tends to be reality TV. Yeah, so there you go. Looking to learn. I think I like that I can have podcasts in the back, right? Sometimes yeah. Don't want to listen to music when I'm cooking or when I used to drive cuz I don't drive here. Yeah. It just kind of depends on my mood. You know we're multifaceted complex people. We can yeah. do things, but I would say that probably in my early 20s I was not consuming that many podcasts. I was consuming podcasts as I was interested in the topic and then yeah. probably in my later 20s I got interested in specific shows and those shows were more conversational about like women's experience specifically where i was at the time in new york and then when i moved to the continent audio is everywhere and i got really immersed in it and i learned a lot and i think you have to come from a position of learning especially if you're stepping into an industry so i spent a lot of time studying a lot of time reading research i am all over the newsletters and also doing a lot of listening, even showing up in spaces that traditionally like weren't for me. For instance, I went to a podcast launch before I even got this job um, and the podcast was in Shang and that's a a local dialect of Swahili. So it's like Mm -hmm. slang, I guess you could Mm -hmm. say. And obviously I don't understand Shang, but I had a couple of computers in the back on YouTube with captions in English and I was back. reading it just because I was curious about what was going on with vernacular. And this was before even stepping into this role. So as a whole, I've been really interested, but I definitely have become more fine-tuned and laser-focused as I moved to the continent. And then additionally, more so when I stepped into this role, that would be a natural, honest progression.
0: I think that you touched on two points that I wanted to dig into a little bit more. Number one, the immersion right? The research process of being able to fully just understand the scope of the industry and prepare yourself. So I wanted to kind of see some of those newsletters that you're referring to some of the research that you use to prepare yourself. And then two, just from a personal standpoint, like how did you feel that you were ready? Being the head of an organization, of any organization is no easy task, not to speak of one that is a space that you haven't had prior experience in, but how did you get to that point and say, you know what, I'm ready to take this on and I, I think I can do this well.
1: So I will go in order on those questions. Um, the first one, in terms of resources, a long time ago, one of my friends told me the first step of being good at something is being bad at
0: it but
1: in a different way. But I love that. That always stuck with me because the thing was nobody is good at the gate at anything. And I think you learn from your mistakes and you hope you don't make those mistakes again. But also, You have to know what you don't know. That's that first step of being informed. And when you're put in a position where you have responsibility, regardless of the industry, the space or the field, I think you have to be honest with yourself that in order to be good at it, you have to study. Like things do not come naturally. You need to work. What I did is a lot of research, and there was a couple of newsletters that stood out. First one is Pod News, the gentleman, James Cridland. I think he has a really credible voice in podcasting, and every day he has a newsletter, and I would wait for that newsletter to come out, and I would read everything, and I would click the links, and you could not out-talk current podcasting to me. And this was before I took the role, but this was when I was mm-hmm. like, in space. Yeah. I knew what was going on. My finger yeah. was on And then I was looking for research through Edison and Nielsen. And Edison does these things called the Infinite Dial Reports. They also recently just started doing the Sound of Ear Reports. So they have a lot of information on audio behavior. So I would look and see what was going on. Additionally, there was another newsletter in Africa called Into the Podverse by Tony Doe, a Nigerian podcaster. And I loved reading. that. Specifically on the continent, research from Africa PodFest. They did research in Kenya, Nigeria, and South Africa for multiple years now. And I became aware of that and waited for that to come out every year in Africa Podcast Day and just learn what was going on. And then I think on top of it, I looked into people doing research for me myself, making sure that there was nothing I was missing, asking questions, not quite to chat GPT, but, you know, in general and making sure that I had a comprehensive understanding of where this space was now, knowing that it was so young and in its infancy that by the time I got the research, something had probably changed because it was growing. But to answer your question, I made a real investment in learning and I made a real conscious decision to be informed. And I, I take that still currently very seriously enough so that we have meetings every Wednesday called industry insights, where I tell my team please bring something about media, tech, audio, podcasting, or Africa to the table. Let's talk, discuss, let's understand what's going on here. And I feel like that's really important because then everyone's fingers on the pulse. And I think as a young emerging industry, everyone becomes a billboard for the business and for the industry. And I want to make sure that At any given point, everyone has current news. And it helps me. I think it helps them. And it also creates a space where everyone can kind of feel safe bringing something up, discussing their opinion, and standing firm by it. So that's the first bit. I did a lot of intentional research. The first piece of being ready is knowing that you are probably not ready. (laughs) You can prepare as much as you want. And then real life gives you real life examples. You make those mistakes, and the first time you make a mistake that's terrible, you are horrified to make it again. That's how right. it. it goes when you learn. Something that I learned in New York, I spent some time working for Lean Starter Machine when they were still in Techstars in the incubator. And it was like that mantra of fail fast, succeed faster. And I definitely struggle with failure. And it was interesting, because you know when I got hired, Someone told me, they're like, I'm not concerned about you being successful. I actually know that you're going to be great at this. What I'm concerned at is what you're going to do when you're not good. And that one was a very, you know, when someone's easy Yeah. Busy, you,
0: know, yeah. you just stop dead in your tracks. You just stop dead in your tracks. You're like, all right, tell me more. You know it.
1: Me too. I'm curious what will happen when I'm not good. I'm curious how I'll react when I fail, right? Because that's not how I'm wired. I was an athlete and my focus is serious when i need to get through things it becomes like all the proverbial fat and all of the distractions disappear like i become laser focused
0: that's a true goalie mentality listen true goalie mentality right that's what you play you're a goalie right
1: was a goalkeeper, yeah.
0: yeah. exactly, yeah.
1: If I've decided that I'm gonna win, or if I've decided that this is what I want, I'm gonna get it. Yep. And I don't think it's a bad thing to say about Yeah, no. it, It's fine. and I know it. Yeah. When you say, well, how did I know I was ready? I knew I wasn't ready. I knew that because of that, that I had to commit to continuing to learn and commit to give other people space which is such a big part of my personal brand, consciously saying that this is not about me. This is about the African creator on the ground. I'm given the opportunity to get into rooms to ultimately drag everyone with me. If you ever hear me speak about Afropods or about my work, I hope that the through line on this is that the joy is not finding success in me. The joy is like figuring out ways to have African creators take up space and ultimately get paid for their content. Like that is my success line. And if that's my line, that's what I'm focused on. None of this is about me getting to whatever level is next. I don't know. I I, don't actually care. I'm focused on the job here and that's amplifying African voices and making sure that we capture this opportunity. And I felt very ready to go into rooms and to fight for African creators. Did I feel ready to run a business? Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. I didn't know what challenges and problems would come up. Did I feel capable in my skills? I'm very, very confident in being a leader and I know how to lead a team. So I felt like innately I had that piece that I would be able to steer us together. I felt that my decision-making was very competent. The whole industry was growing. There was no right way to do it. So I had to switch my mentality to be like, my focus is making sure that the creators are at the top of my mind in every conversation that they're taking up space in conversations that I get invited to, that they're highlighted in articles I'm featured in, that the sound bites on me are about creators and that I felt ready to do. That was my mentality switch.
0: That's really dope. And I think that you highlighted something that's very, very important that as I have these conversations with folks and kind of understand more about the pivots that they made and how they've been able to do it successfully, a lot of times they're drawn by things that are much bigger than just the opportunity that's at hand. They're drawn by passion. They're drawn by the opportunity to make impact, right? They're drawn by causes that are larger than themselves, which is something that you've illustrated there. I wanted to highlight that again, because that's something that is important. I think a lot of times when folks think about the pivot at first, they're like, okay, well, the next step, right? But to motivate yourself to get through some of the trials and tribulations and the really hard aspects and the growing pain, it's being able to know that there's a lot bigger cause or there's a lot bigger calling that you're you're going towards.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that if you really find a North Star that feels important to you, especially when it comes to work, you're in a really privileged position because you get to spend a majority of your waking hours working on something that you find valuable. And I think that if you don't, then you need to kind of shift your view on your work until you do, because that is where you're able to lean in. And I think that's where you're able to really develop an authentic excitement or passion for the work that you do. That's important. Work is a way to make money, to fund your life. Forget that. And opportunities... Even sometimes it can feel really challenging, especially in times like this when there's a recession or people are getting laid off, and you just keep what you have. But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity in fear. When you're scared, when you have to make a way. Yeah. And so I really had to sit in discomfort when it came to finding a role that made sense for me, and when it came to rising to the occasion because the gravity of this space feels very, very weighty to me. Mm -hmm. Like, understanding the impact that audio has on the continent and potentially being one of many pioneers in podcasting, I always wanna make sure that we're tying it back to other people that are carrying the torch, to new people that are stepping into the space, to legacy traditional media that has opened up the opportunity for digital media to come in. I think that there's a real respect that comes from me here, and especially being not someone born on the continent, there is also that additional responsibility to bring everyone into the rooms that I get invited into and make sure that the scope of these conversations stay on Africa. That is my real conscious decision when I decide to take any interviews or anything like that
0: i want to also go back to something that you said before when people talk about pivoting it to a certain extent is a reinvention and it should feel like that but you do have to leverage and lean on a lot of previous experience that you've had you mentioned before that you had a sales and marketing background you mentioned before that the people are a big focus for you you briefly mentioned that you had experience with tech stars as well so just wanted to ask you like how important do you think the culmination of those experiences have been to get you to this point?
1: It's hard to understand what your transferable skills are until you're put in a situation that they need to be transferred to.
0: I need you to say that again because that is so important. Say that one more time.
1: Oh I hope I say it right. Okay. (laughs) Well it's hard to know the transferable skills that you're gonna need to apply until you're in a situation that you need to transfer them. Mm-hmm. It was always such a opaque question. When it'd be like, what are your transferable skills? I'd be like, where do I need to transfer them to?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: With them. I'm very confident in myself and my abilities, right? If you decided to tell me today I was gonna work in sanitation, oh, I'm gonna be the best at it. And, or yeah. sure, it's not something I wanna do, But I think I'm really hardwired for winning. It's not even just success. Like in my mind, it really looks like winning and losing. Yeah. And I think that I look at my experience and my trajectory and my networks and my access, and I feel very confident that I could learn about any space enough to contribute value to it. Now, do I think I could learn about any space and be the best at it? No, I'm not cocky in that way. But I do think that I take a very strong stance on learning. And I don't think that always helps from formal education. Um, As long as you're putting yourself in a position to be comfortable saying, hey, I don't know, then you can get better. So transferable skills, when it came to hear from my experience with people, I knew that stepping into a leadership role I had to weigh, well, what does it look like to be a boss or a leader? What is my metric of success here? And ultimately, my personal metric of success is professional development. When people come in, are they better when they leave? Are they more comfortable doing X, Y, or Z? I think I have a lot to learn about pushing the needle from only the business perspective. I think I could be much better in that regard. But I will tell you, I think I know how to make people feel I think that people on my team know that I care. I think that people on my team when they're uncomfortable can come to me because it's happened. And that's probably one of my biggest successes thus far in Kenya is that in a country that more non-confrontational than the environment I grew up in in New York that I've created a space with my team that when there's problems that they'll bring it to me. That's a big deal, right? And there's so much talk about emotional intelligence and leadership, right? Like you hear about empathy and compassion and understanding and people feeling like they're providing value in the spaces they work in. And I feel lucky that I spent some time volunteering for the only emotional intelligence company in the States. It's called Six Seconds. And I also was really immersed in it. I went and saw um, Daniel Goleman speak. I did a live meditation with Jon Kabat-Zinn. I completely immersed myself in neuroscience during the pandemic and neuroplasticity, whether it was through reading or listening to podcasts of Andrew Huberman, or I even yep. did a course with this Sudanese American woman called Allah. And that completely changed how I show up in every capacity, not just professional, but what's ultimately been most transferable is my innate understanding of people. And I was really excited to do that in this role, because in my opinion, CEOs are just salespeople or tech people. And so if you're going to code, be good at coding. But if you're going to sell this business, if you're going to sell an opportunity, if you're going to sell a dream, you got to know how to do it. And I got that. So that's how I tied those together
0: it is tied. It is tied for sure. And one thread that I'm starting to pull here through our conversation is from your standpoint, there's a difference between knowing and not knowing. When I say that I'm referring to, you have to show others what you know to get into these kind of positions or to be able to make this pivot, right? Like showing them what you know through your transferable skills, painting that picture for them. But on the flip side, you know what you don't know right or you know that you do not know completely and likely will never know completely so that's where that immersion comes up in the background that research and tying those two things together are what makes a successful pivot possible
1: oh i love that that was so succinct i wish i said that i wish that was no awesome. you did. That, that came that came through you i'm just sitting here
0: listening i'm just listening you gave all the words of wisdom i'm just trying to loop it all together
1: Well, you know what's interesting? I think that the entire podcasting industry is trying to figure out how do you make this successful? How do you make this sustainable? How do you make this profitable? Even more so in emerging markets where the pickup rate is super high. How do you make this successful? Anyone who tells you that they are truly an expert in podcasting in Africa, don't think they're telling the truth because we are growing and changing so quickly. Africa has the opportunity to be the largest podcasting market in the world but I don't think that it's going to look the way it does in the West. And I think because you have a continent of people comfortable with a behavior that is required through listening, you know, talking about people have smartphones, right? Like people are on TikTok, people are on social media, and it's not just in the urban areas. If this behavior picks up, it could be massive on this continent. And I think we cannot understate the opportunity to, memorialize mother tongue and vernacular language. That is an exciting piece of this puzzle. And is it being weighed the same way as traditional Western podcasts, primarily in English are? I don't know, but I would tend to guess I don't think so. So to kind of wrap that loop, the knowing and the not knowing, yeah, that's really important to me. I've learned it's not a bad thing to say I don't know. It really isn't. If you're curious and you're willing to learn, I think that actually could potentially be a strength to be aware of what you don't know.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. And you started to sprinkle a little bit hear about your viewpoints on the nature of podcasting and audio within africa to the last point that you made what drives that adoption right there's obviously huge massive potential and i'm sure this is something you spend a lot of time thinking through on a daily basis but what drives that adoption to really maximize that potential and take advantage of that so
1: i do spend a lot of time thinking and studying and researching the audio opportunity in africa specifically the digital audio opportunity, and Right now, like I mentioned earlier, I think we're in our early infancy and early adopter period. What we're seeing move the needle on that is truly the cool factor. In Kenya, I'll use as an example, some of the biggest podcasters were ex-radio hosts. And even this one woman was the first syndicated podcast on radio. So people got exposure that way. I think that when you look at other parts of the content, you're seeing real, true audiences being built through social media. And I think that people have been able to turn those into not just audiences, but niche communities that they've then been able to monetize through live shows, through merch, and engage people to anticipate their next podcast or piece of content coming out next. Generally, I believe what's driving this is what's driving a lot of industries. I think we have a common nerve here and it really is this creator economy, right? This orange economy is big. And I think the opportunity in Africa is potentially bigger than a couple of markets in the world right now. And I think that's due to the fact that Africa is different. And when you look at the landscape, at least the formal professional landscape on the continent, you have to recognize that there's a lot of informal work happening less people have formal salary jobs and more people have informal day-to-day laborer jobs or consultant tech jobs. And because of that, any way to make money, you're going to figure it out. You got to eat what you will, which means if you are given the opportunity to make money off of yourself, you're going to try. So you're going to have everyone becoming a creator. And that's super exciting. And I don't know if that same opportunity exists in societies that have more formalized work structures. I think it definitely can, but I think that you're going to see this creator economy really, really grow in Africa. And I think that's across all creative verticals. I don't think that's just podcasting. I yep. think that in everything, and I'd be remiss to say that the audio opportunity is unique in only that. I think it's every creative industry in Africa is going to have an opportunity, um, and that's primarily due to the fact that People are very aware of their opportunity as a creative to make money off of themselves and their personality, their niches, and what they like to speak and share.
0: That's definitely very helpful and definitely great insight. So if you're speaking to yourself and you're telling yourself like, hey, this is some advice that I have for you, what is some advice that you would give yourself before you've made this pivot? And what is some advice that you currently give yourself?
1: I think I would prepare myself to be more comfortable Speaking in public and presenting myself on behalf of an industry or a company, I hadn't had that experience before. I did take Toastmasters a long time ago. I did take a public speaking course a long time ago, but I definitely feel like I'm leaning a lot on my personal ability to show up and pre pivot I would have loved... To be a little bit more confident as a potential media person, so that I would be able to communicate concisely and effectively what I mean. And I still feel like I have trouble with that, but I feel like I'm doing better.
0: You're doing um, great. You're doing great.
1: Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. that I, I I'm very aware that I feel like I need more media training. And the argument on that is, do you lose a little bit of the passion and a little bit of your sauce when you're buttoned up? I don't know, because I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, <I>
1: there <think. laughs> I think that there's a way to be more concise. And something I also learned recently was the way that you speak is very different than the way that you write. So yeah. I was taking interviews, and they would come across the way that I speak when I write, and I felt like it wasn't as polished as I would have liked.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: And they started getting picked up by different outlets, and I was really frustrated by that. So I actually sat down and Forbes reached out to me. And I was like, I will not do this.
0: (laughs) Let's get it together.
1: Let's get it together. Because the thing is what really frustrated me is I did an interview and Reuters picked it up. And it didn't Mm -hmm. look as good as I wanted it to. So I would say pre-pivot, if I knew all of the things that were gonna happen, I would work on media training and that would be not just speaking to people and making sure I'm expressing myself in a way that's concise and powerful and dynamic in one go, but also making sure that that translated to how I was writing and how I was showing up when people were reading about the business and understanding the process it took to get here or why I feel like this mission is so important. And then additionally post pivot, So, or where I am now, because maybe I'm in the process of pivoting, so we don't, we're not sure. Okay. Right,
0: right. listen. How about say, if it's breaking news, let me know. Now I'm messing with you, I'm messing with you.
1: I think that post pivot, I am now in a position where I'm very aware of how I show up in spaces. So whenever you see me on a stage, I'm wearing an African designer, I can have time I'm making sure that my hair is either in braids or in a way that I feel like potentially isn't as traditional. And I say that because I feel like being in new media, I have a really cool opportunity to bridge the gap between creative and cool. And the okay. easiest way to do that is through clothes, in my opinion. I'm a younger executive compared to some of these traditional media executives. I'm working in a creative space. I talk to people regularly, I talk to these podcasters regularly. So whenever you see me dress, a lot of the times I'm looking for a unique fabric, whether it's Adira in Nigeria or they call it Katanga, but Ankara in West Africa, Katanga in East Africa, Batik from Tanzania. I have a really strong desire to highlight fabric. And when I stepped into this role, I asked a friend of mine who's in fashion. I've never had to present myself in a way that I felt also represented a business. How do I want to do this? And she said, hmm, it sounds like you want a 50% African wardrobe, 25% luxury, 25% basics." I said, yes, <laughs> That's what I want. And she goes, I, I think that maybe you want to focus on African neutrals. Since you're a New Yorker, you don't wear a ton of bright, bold colors. Maybe you want to focus on high quality fabrics like silks and cottons and browns and creams and whites. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And then you know what I did? I bought patterns. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't even help myself. Like, I was like, yes, I want brown. What am I going to do? Buy blue pants. (laughs) Well, it's been a really exciting learning process in that because now I get to show up in spaces that I feel I can be myself. I can be dynamic. I can show the vibrancy of the continent. I can wear local designers. I can highlight some of the creativity that's coming from fashion here as well as the creativity that's coming from storytelling. And so post-pivot, I've become very, very intentional of how I take up space and what it looks like when I take up space. And I hope that, that byline continues to be about other people and not about me. Like, I hope that will look at me like she cares about African people, cares about African stories. She cares about African clothes. She cares about African fabric, She cares about African beauty traditions. He cares. Yeah. That, for me, is something to be proud of.
0: Yeah. Well, if there are people who are listening to this, which I'm sure there will be, and they're saying, wow, I want to grow up and be just like her. (laughs) What are some parting words of wisdom that you would give them all just trying to elevate to the next level through their pivots or trying to take on a role from an international standpoint in a market that they're not as aware of.
1: Biggest parting word that I would give to someone that might shed some wisdom would be to really lean on your community. I have learned firsthand how challenging it is when you have to re-establish community and the community shows up when you need it. It may not be the community that you think will show up. It may not be the community you want to show up. But when you need communities, there will be something that shows up and you have to be open to receiving it. And I think the hardest thing about being abroad is especially in in this age is that you're missing on really key and critical moments of people's lives that you've loved your whole life or that you've cared about. And you need community to get you through you need people who know you to call you out you need people to tell you that they're proud of you and and to help you make decisions and and give you advice and to leverage the networks that you have which is also part of community who do you know that does this good who do you know that can open a door for you who do you know that can rip apart your deck? who do you know that can help you with a consulting proposal that community aspect is really, really, really important. And I think the way that I imagined community supporting me and the way that I see community operating here and the way that I need community to show up for me are all very different and all very important. So I would say be intentional about creating community if you're moving abroad. Be intentional about leaning on your current community when you need help. It's not a bad thing to ask for help or say that you're struggling. And I would say be open to new ways of making community or feeling connected.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, there you have it, y'all. Molly, thank you so much.
1: It's been my pleasure, Hatu. Thank you for inviting me and thinking of me and allowing me to take a little bit of space.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you. We are honored to have you. This has been fantastic. Honestly, this has been such a great conversation. And thank you all for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe for more And most important, pivot powerfully. Be well, everyone.
1: Bye.